Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. I'm about to read to you from one of the more frightening pieces about America that I've ever read. The movement of Portland, Oregon toward a totalitarian state. In totalitarian... Let me explain what totalitarianism is. And I got this from... Who was the brilliant ambassador to the UN? Gene uh, Kirkpatrick, yeah, whom I knew, by the way. Gene Kirkpatrick wrote a piece for Commentary Magazine, I don't know, 40 years ago. Well, Ronald Reagan appointed her on the basis of that piece, so it had to be, I'd say, about late 1970s. And she wrote a piece describing the difference between authoritarian and totalitarian. I think I can explain it to you clearly, talking about explaining life. In an authoritarian regime, you can do whatever you want except for a list of things that the authoritarian regime does not allow. Is that clear? In a totalitarian regime, you cannot do anything except that which the regime allows. It's a big difference. Totalitarian is far more controlling. I might add it also wants to control your your thoughts. That uh, what is happening in Portland... And it is in the one of the two most important journals, City Journal, by one of the uh, great writers uh, of our time, Christopher Rufo, who's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, which publishes this. So I'm going to read to you excerpts. It's a very long piece. He's talking about what's happening in the Portland area educational districts, school districts, the the. the, the the Child Soldiers of Portland. It is up at DennisPrager.com. Educators at the Tigard Tualatin School District have gone all in on the social justice trinity of diversity, equity, and inclusion. By the way, I have a theory on that. I have a lot of theories, as you know. Life, the world consists of trinities. The most famous trinity is the Christian trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, Right? The Jews have a trinity, God, Torah, Israel. It's 2,000 years old, that formulation. America has a trinity, e pluribus unum, in God we trust, liberty. The left has a trinity, race, gender, class. And here's the newest trinity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Isn't that interesting? The world consists of trinities. Daniel, good to see you. I want you all to know that Daniel was sitting in for five minutes for Sean. Uh, and uh, Daniel, I heard you on the radio today. Yes, sir. 
You were very good. Superintendent, last June, at the height of the nationwide unrest, Superintendent Sue Erika Smith and Board Chair Maureen Wolf signed a proclamation, quote, condemning racism and committing to being an anti-racist school district. The district announced the new Department of Equity and Inclusion and installed social justice activist Zinia Un as director. Un quickly created a blueprint, which I have obtained through a whistleblower, for overhauling the pedagogy and curriculum at Tigard to Allotton schools. In her blueprint, Un describes the new oppressor, as an amalgamation of whiteness, colorblindness, individualism, and meritocracy. These are the values of capitalist society, but for UN, they are the values of white society, the primary impediment to social justice. Let me review that, my dear friends. In Oregon, the oppressor is whiteness, Colorblindness, individualism, and meritocracy. I love colorblindness, I love individualism, and I love meritocracy. They are what made America exceptional and great, which it has been. It is flawed because it consists of human beings who are very flawed. No one quite as flawed as the left, but nevertheless flawed. Well, obviously, slave owners had flaws, and, uh, and Jim Crow enthusiasts. I mean, we've always had flawed individuals, but it, today, the flawed individual is the uns of our society. So whiteness consists of colorblindness, individualism, and meritocracy. That is now declared whiteness and must be eradicated. Colorblindness is what God wants. Okay? That is my belief as much as God wants us to love our neighbor or not to murder. God wants us to be colorblind. Okay? As I say in any speech at a university, color doesn't mean a damn thing. Kids are shocked. Any audience is now shocked to hear someone say it publicly. Color doesn't mean anything. The color of your skin is as important as the color of your shoes or the color of your hair or the color of your eyes. Okay? Just just for the record. These people are, are despicable fools to make color important. They are pure, undiluted racists. 99% of racism in this country is from the left. This is an example. They are fighting color blindness. Every one of you liberals who votes Democrat is voting for a war against colorblindness. But it's enough to hate the Republicans and the right to vote such people in. That's the brainwash you've gotten and live by. Many of you are wonderful people, and I'm not kidding. Individualism? That's right. The unique American belief that the individual is sacred. That is correct. That is the belief. That, too, is a Judeo-Christian belief. Every human being is uniquely important, not because of color, but because of who they are. 
And meritocracy, you reward merit. That's correct. That's why shortstops get a lot of money. They have a lot of merit. Shall we abolish meritocracy in sports? Why is it okay for sports and not okay for law or medicine or construction? Right? Tell me, why is meritocracy? I would like this woman would never debate any more than John Oliver would debate. They never debate. Because when you don't get challenged, you can say anything, no matter how stupid. They're trying to indoctrinate the children, the father observed, talking about a father of one of the children in the Portland schools. He believes that the intention is to turn child against parent. Whoa. Another neon light here. The intention is to turn child against parent. That is how I know the left is a cult. The first thing cults do is diminish parental authority. The the biggest opposition to cults is strong parents. So, this is a an article that's up at DennisPrager.com. Talking now, this part is about a father here. He says they believe their intention is to turn child against parent. After the anti-racism lessons, his child felt torn between school and family, sometimes crying in confusion. Quote, they're slowly going to get behind their defenses, get behind their parents' defenses, and create little social justice warriors, the father said. They're trying to hyper-empathize and hyper-emotionalize the children in order to get them to be more receptive to some sort of revolution. That's exactly right. Why does the father keep his son in the school there? Your children are taught to have contempt for everything you value, unless you're a true revolutionary leftist. According to drafts of the ethnic study standards, teachers will require kindergartners to learn, quote, the difference between private and public ownership of goods and capital. Kindergartners. But basically make them into radical leftist communists, essentially. And develop understanding of identity formation related to self, family, community, gender, and disability. That's in kindergarten. Why would you keep your child in such a school? I'm asking any of you whose children, who have children, or grandchildren. Pay your children oodles of money to homeschool them, or to put them in a school that isn't teaching in kindergarten, drag queen study hour, or identity formation based on gender. In first grade, they will learn how, quote, to define equity, equality, and systems of power. Examine social construction as it relates to race, ethnicity, gender, disabilities, and sexual orientation. That's just what you want your first grader to to learn, isn't it? And describe how individual and group characteristics are used to divide, unite, and categorize racial, ethnic, and social groups. In third, fourth, and fifth grade, students must deconstruct the U.S. Constitution 
uncover, quote, systems of power, including white supremacy, institutional racism, racial hierarchy, and oppression, and examine the consequences of power and privilege on issues associated with poverty, income, and the accumulation of wealth. Make their children into Marxists. This is, that was third and fourth grade. If the elementary school curriculum sets the premise that the U.S. is the great oppressor, then the middle school and high school curricula deliver the conclusion. The learning standards read like an old left-wing pamphlet. Students must internalize the principles of race-based, quote, subversion, resistance, challenge, and perseverance. They must fight against the structural and systemic oppression of capitalism, authority, religion, and government, and they must commit to the pursuit of social justice. Hmm. Then describing a teacher, she and other teachers must submit to mandatory anti-racism training each week. Each week. Mandatory. Quote, from the beginning, we were told that we couldn't question the anti-racism program. I called Human Resources and asked them if I needed to profess that I believe in critical race theory and if I had to teach from this perspective, and I was told that I need to understand it. I need to know all about it, and I could probably lose my job if I didn't teach that way. If my principal is super into making sure the teachers are using this lens as they teach. At Forest Park, Whitman, and Marysville Elementary Schools, a teacher named Sarita Flores, who runs the information technology program, has transformed her role into that of a political inquisitor. According to leaked internal documents and whistleblower testimony, Flores holds weekly anti-racism sessions in which white teachers are expected to remain silent. Honor the feelings of BIPOC, black, indigenous, and people of color, and make space for and amplify BIPOC educators. In presentations resembling Soviet-era struggle sessions, Flores instructs teachers that they must, quote, deepen their political analysis of racism and oppression and start healing with public apologies about their racism and then go back and apologize through an audit through an anti-racist lens, unquote. During one of these sessions, Flores hosted an exercise resembling Orwell's two-minute hate, in which minority teachers were allowed 90 seconds to berate their white colleagues. During the exercise, Flores denounced one of her white female colleagues by screaming, You make me feel unsafe! You make me feel unsafe! Repeatedly for 90 seconds. Afterward, Flores boasted on Facebook that she had publicly humiliated a racist despite providing no evidence of racism or misconduct. It was a pure display of racial dominance. Ninety seconds screaming at a white teacher, you make me feel unsafe. 